Good evening, everybody. This is Jeremy Mohavlich, and you are listening to Motorphiliacs TV, the podcast. With me tonight is, of course, the Ron Cortez. How are you doing, Ron? I'm good, Jeremy. How are you? I am well. I am well, well, well. All right. Well, let's talk about some car stuff. That's why we're here. Absolutely. Let's get into it. So the question tonight that we're going to lead off with, and everybody's thinking it, where have all the wagons gone? It's on my mind all the time. Yes, because you are particularly keen on wagons. I love wagons too, but you're actually looking to purchase one. You want to get in the game in one. I and do. you don't have a lot of options, do you? No, no. I mean, I love wagons, you know, especially a sporty wagon. And there's, no, there's not a lot of choices anymore. You know, there weren't a lot for many years and now there's almost nothing. And we can blame Lee Iacocca for that. <laughs> I think he started it. I think it was Lee Iacocca. And his uh, minivan craze. And just, yeah, I don't know what it is with North Americans. You know, they they want SUVs. They don't like wagons. They don't like cars. North Americans are dumb. Yeah. No, I can't disagree with you. I mean, I I dig wagons. I, guys, I, so my thing, of course, is obviously like I really like old, you know, wagons, right, from the muscle car era, you know, 50s, 60s, even in the 70s. I dig custom wagons. I think they're really cool. And then fast forward, jump into the 90s, 2000s. I mean, yeah, some great wagons from, you know, BMW, Mercedes. But here in North America, we get stiffed. We don't get the really cool stuff from Europe. And like I say, I, I, I genuinely believe we can blame the whole minivan, uh, you know, which morphed into the soccer moms needing SUVs craze. And, and here we sit. Yeah, no, I agree. It's, uh, I don't know what it is. Like you go to Europe and Japan and there's amazing wagons. And in Europe, you've even got the American manufacturers, you know, Ford, Buick, GM, they sell wagons in Europe. Europeans buy them. Europeans understand that if you want something with good cargo capacity, you get a wagon because it's going to handle better. It's going to drive better. It's going to be sportier. It's going to get better fuel economy. You know, I, I don't understand this SUV craze other than I think there was this perception that they're safer because you're riding up higher and you've got all-wheel drive and that's safer. Well, you can get that in a wagon too. You, you don't you don't need to be up high. No, you can't. I mean, when everybody's up high, you're not up higher than anybody else. So really, I mean, two Escalades crash, you're both in Escalades. It's not going to make a difference. No, I I think I think the minivan created, um, like if you talk to, to parents who had kids mm -hmm. that, you know, they, they bought a minivan because, hey, look, I don't have to bend down and strap the kids in. I can open a big sliding door. It's convenient. And then that morphed into the whole, um, you know, SUV, uh, like I said, Escalades, right? They were in every rap video in the 90s and into the 2000s. They became popularized by that part of the automotive community. And here we sit today i challenge you to go on the internet and find a north american auto manufacturer that offers actual cars in their lineup i i i, I might i know i'm probably making generalizations and i'm probably sounding a little silly to people who know exactly what every manufacturer offers but i would say generally speaking you go on the internet you try to find a car here in north america there isn't many there's it's all suvs Pretty much, yeah. I think does Ford offer even the Focus anymore? I don't think gone. so. So gone. Yeah, the Fusion's gone. The Focus gone. is gone. Focus gone. So you know, Chrysler maybe do they still have the three hundred in their lineup? I, I have no mm, idea. Nope. Chrysler's no, I don't trash. Think so. I don't look at what I they sell. I don't think so. No, I mean 
challengers and chargers maybe still but no the no it's it's just a glut of suvs and i know as soon as you mention what i drive i'm going to sound like a massive hypocrite well but hey i'm one to talk to i'm i'm a little bit of a hypocrite because right now i'm driving a crossover you know i've got a volkswagen tiguan but in my defense the reason i have it is i was looking for a car i needed something at the time fairly quickly and I needed something with a manual transmission. And this one came up at a really good price. And yeah, I, I bought it because that was kind of my best option at the time. And like I've told you, I like it. It's nice, but I don't love it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I'd much rather have a car. And you know, my love is with wagons because you've got the same cargo space. And in fact, sometimes you got more, more cargo space. Mm-hmm. And you're going to get way better handling. You're going to get better fuel economy. You're going to get better performance. Yep. Um, so yeah, I'm in the market now. I'm leaning towards a golf sport wagon you know which they made until 2019 they've you know stopped producing those in north america again um so i'm looking at kind of a 2018 2019 and trying to see what's out there in the market again it's got to have the stick so that limits my options and so for me um i've got a 2019 jeep cherokee trailhawk and i would have to say my purchase was made with a number of concessions and um comp compromises i i will always say and if you go back to our old blog and and our our youtube channel i was i've never been against suvs that are truck based because i do think the convenience of having a truck chassis truck cab but with something sealed to keep the weather out to put gear and stuff in the back is cool i'm good with that however they're almost all gone now i mean if i wanted to get a vehicle and for me being able to go off-road was a huge part of my purchase massive part of my purchase i was getting back in the market after having some pickup trucks i wanted something to go wheeling in but i wanted something that i could stir all my gear in the back safe and dry locked up and i didn't have a ton of choices i mean i would have taken a jeep wrangler but those things are torture to drive i i can't i can't put my because i for a day job of course i drive right i'm on the road all the time um I couldn't stand driving one of those day in and day out. It would just not be comfortable. Two, all the Ford trucks that I liked, like Excursion, Expedition, Explorer, well, they're all SUVs now, like car-based SUVs. They're not truck-based. So really, I think all I was left with was like a Tahoe or, you know, from GM or a Suburban, and they don't offer anything that's a capable four-wheel drive. Like, you know, you're out of options. Four, Toyota 4Runner, I looked at those, stupidly expensive. So yeah, I chose the Trailhawk. It was, to me, the best balance between comfort, capability, and price. But I am, well, I did. I found an old SUV. I got, I bought that Jeep ZJ. So now we're going to go wheel in with an old Jeep. Um, and if I could find a super clean excursion, I'd jump on it in a heartbeat. Yeah, well, that's sort of the second part of this debate that we uh, we were discussing a little bit the other day. Yes. I've got to disagree with you there. I, I did a little research. I looked at some YouTube videos, and there's some pretty capable vehicles out there that aren't truck-based. You know, I know you got to hate on for Subarus, <laughs> but they're, they're pretty capable, man. Like, I saw some videos, and, you know, there was one where there's this mud hole on a trail, and a bunch of 4x4s were getting stuck, had to be winched out. This yep. little Subaru Outback just motored right on through it. 
you know, fake TV. <laughs> it's all lies. And uh, I, I've watched a couple of reviews. You mentioned the uh, the new uh, Outback Wilderness, mm-hmm. and that thing actually looks pretty capable. I mean, it, I think it'll do anything that your Trailhawk will do, by the looks of it. Um, you know, I saw a video where they had it up against a Forerunner TRD, mm-hmm. and the Forerunner TRD was a little more capable, but this thing was pretty close, and it still really? did the same trails. So. You know, it looks pretty impressive if you're looking for something to go off-road in. You're not going to do the gnarliest rock crawling stuff, but you're not going to do that in your Jeep Cherokee either. So, you know, well, I think... That's where, and that's where we beg to differ. I mean, no, I'm not going to do gnarly rock crawling, but, um, I mean, that TRD Pro 4Runner, I mean, that's an exceptionally good off-road vehicle. Um, my Trailhawk is the only uh, Jeep product with a locking rear diff other than Gladiator and Wrangler, right? You can't get a locking diff in the Compass, Renegade, or Grand Cherokee. Um, I'd be willing to take anybody who wants to bring one of those things out with me, and yeah, let's go put them to the test. I would be happy to do that in person because I, I, I do believe that a lot of manufacturers are lying to the people they're selling cars to. They, they want to perpetuate this idea that their SUVs are freedom machines and get you out into the backwoods and get you all these great places to go see that isn't downtown Vancouver. And I all think I think it's a lot of BS. I think it's all just hype and it's misleaded advertising, misleading advertising. All right. Well, I'm going to call you on that one because, like I said, I, I did a little watching YouTube in the last, you know, 36 hours. <laughs> Um, there was another video that was quite interesting where they uh, had a super cross track and a Wrangler. Yep. And they took them up in the hills above LA. And, you know, not like super gnarly trails, but there was some, you know, climbs and some rocky bits. And I mean, the cross track struggled a little more than the Wrangler, but it made it in the same places. They made it mm-hmm. up there. They camped overnight. So I think, you know, I think you're coming at this with a bias of like more hardcore off road. And I think for 97% of the people that want something like that in a vehicle to get them out in the backcountry, you know, I think most SUVs today, not all of them, but a lot of them, I think they're capable enough to get you out there and do some steeper climbs and get over some rocky bits and a few washouts here and there. You know, these these vehicles seem quite capable. You know, they Mm -hmm. do the torque vectoring front to rear. A lot of them or some of them will do the torque vectoring right to left as well where, you know, some of it is braking, but some of it is actually the differential sending mm-hmm. power, you know, front and back and left and right. Um, and just thinking towards the future and technology, you know, I think this is where the electric is going to shine because you can have an individual electric motor on each four the corners and yep. then the computer can control each wheel independently, send yep. the power exactly where it needs to be. And sure. I think that's going to be really interesting. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and like I was, I was telling you, I was really geeked out about the idea of uh Ultra 4 adopting an EV class because torque, I mean, torque that an electric motor puts out is super handy when you're wheeling. And I know I'm making generalizations and that's, you're, you're calling me on those, but I, I, I just, I'm not willing to accept that Kias and, um, Hyundai's and Volkswagen's like all these mainstream SUV manufacturers I'm not willing to accept that they could get anywhere close to where my Trailhawk could go Land Rovers are legendary we know that Toyota makes a great product in the 4Runner there are a number of very capable Jeeps with the Trailhawk badge and Subaru's throwing their hat in the ring with this 
what do they call it? The wilderness. Yeah, the outback wilderness. Outback wilderness. So they're throwing their hat in the ring. And Um, they've got a cross track that's a little more gnarly as well now. Right. So they're throwing their hat in the ring. So go ahead, prove me wrong. Like any, you know, if you own one of those vehicles and you want to go wheeling with me, no problem. I'm down. I will concede this to you. And I think this is where the lines may be getting blurred a little bit by you is that I'm not saying that people can't get out and do like soft roading, like driving on forest service roads and stuff. And I'll bet, sure, there's plenty of these new SUVs that are certainly capable enough to take you up groomed forest service roads and get you out where you want to go. But what I am saying is that when the forest service road is no longer groomed, or when the Forest Service Road has a great big huge mud hole in the middle of it, or like when I was down in Moab, you come across these silt beds, which the sand becomes like talcum powder. That's where the bulk of these SUVs, I think, are going to leave you stranded. Whereas the ones I'm talking about with proper technique and a little bit of experience, you're going to get through all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, again, I know I'm speaking somewhat in generalities, but... I am not convinced that the advertising that all these manufacturers put on TV is a true representation of what their vehicles can actually do. All right. Well, this is where I'm going to disagree with you because I think from what I've seen, I think they're pretty capable. I think they can handle, you know, less groomed stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not going to do the really deep mud holes and the rock crawling. And But that's not um, what we're talking about. We're not talking about yeah, rock crawling. Yeah, no, I'm not saying, saying my Trailhawk can rock crawl. It yeah. can do a fair amount of off-road work. But this might be a topic you and I have to agree to disagree on. And I'll tell you, when we launch our new Motorphiliacs TV channel, which, by the way, folks, is coming this year, I 100% would love to do an SUV episode where All we right. get some of this stuff out there and we go and see what they can do. And, and if I get proven wrong on YouTube... I'm no different than a bunch of other guys that are on YouTube, but I'll take it like a man. But for now... I am standing my my in my position and saying that most of the advertising you see today is a misrepresentation of the product. All right. Well, you heard it here. And uh, yeah, if you're in anywhere in the Vancouver Lower Mainland area and you've got a uh, more capable SUV, a Subaru, you know, one of these new Outbacks, you know, reach out to us and uh, yeah, let's let's go out and see what they can do. Okay, Ron. Well, let's wrap that topic for now, although I think this is probably going to be something we're going to talk about later in the year. And like I said, I definitely know as soon as we get the YouTube channel going again, I want to get some stuff out there and I want to I want to beat on it and I want to see what it'll do. And for the record, I don't hate Subarus nor the people who drive them. I just have reservations. I'll just put it that way. So let's roll into the next topic, which is going to be our motorsport topic. Ron, what are we talking about today about motorsport? Uh, the main topic today is going to be Formula One. Um, we're coming up on the 2022 season. We've had a bunch of car reveals under a new rules package. Preseason testing is starting shortly, and we're about a month away from the uh, first race of the season. And and I should be super excited about that, but frankly, I'm so lukewarm. It's not even funny. But carry on, sir. I, I hear you. I'm you know I'm not as excited either as I used to be. But I'm, I'm starting to get a little more excited because we've got a brand new rules package. We've got some very different cars. Um, so what happened was, you know, from 2021 and earlier, we had a big problem with a lack of racing and a lack of passing. And the big part of that was the aerodynamics of the cars created a huge amount of wash behind them and turbulent air. And that made it really hard for cars to follow and pass. 
And the analysis that was done showed that cars were losing about 35% of their downforce when they were within about three car lengths of the car in front of them. And when they got to about a car length away, they were down 47% on their downforce. And that makes it really hard to actually, you know, catch up and pass mm-hmm, the guy in front mm-hmm. of you. And F1's big solution for that was the, DRS. Yes, the drag reduction system or DRS. And you and I both hate that. Fake. Yeah, it was so stupid. <laughs> it was an artificial way to try to increase passing, and it worked. But it, it's not a reflection of actual talent in racing. It's no. just an artificial tool. No, it's not. I mean, car pass. Yeah. No, I mean, how many times do you hear Martin Brundle saying, "Okay, well, now he's entering the DRS zone, so here comes the pass." I mean, it, it's it's so yeah. artificial. It's so fake. It is so not true wheel to wheel racing. Yeah, it was basically an artificial solution. And we knew what was going to happen. Yeah. So what happened was, you know, F1 brought in Ross Braun, brilliant engineer. Yay, Ross Braun, the man. And he did a whole bunch of analysis and his team. And they came up with this new rules package, which was supposed to come into effect in 2021. But due to COVID and, you know, money issues and all sorts of things, the team's got a one-year extension. So for 2022, we've got a new rules package. The cars are going to look quite different. Uh, the big change is a return to ground effects, right. um, which is going to create a whole bunch of downforce and hopefully not be as affected by the wash from cars in front. There's some other aero changes with the wheel sizes, wheel covers, tire sizes that are also going to clean up the airflow. And the result is, according to the calculations by uh, Monsieur Braun and his team, that cars are only going to lose about 4% of their downforce within about three car lengths. And that's only going to be about an 18% loss of downforce when they get within about one car length. So that's much more manageable. It should be more manageable. It should lead to some more wheel-to-wheel racing and hopefully some more passing. The cars are still going to have DRS. I, I don't know. We'll see how that goes. But the interesting thing is the cars look different. Um, I think they look a lot nicer. And we've seen eight of the 10 teams reveal their new cars so far. There's some questions to whether some of those are the actual cars that are going to hit the track or more of like a livery reveal on the show car spec. But we have seen the new Aston, the Ferrari, the McLaren, the Williams, and the Mercedes um, show off the cars that they're going to test with and give them some shakedown, uh, you know, shakedown track done. Right. And they do, they look, they look good. I mean, I, I, I must say I do like, I like the lines. I like the shape, like it. It does look like an attractive race car again. Yep, they look good. And what was most interesting for me is we've seen a couple different takes on the new rule package. So if you look at, say, um, like the Ferrari and the McLaren, they're they're a little more slab-sided in that whole side pod area. Um, They're still undercut a little bit, but they've got this very straight side um, as opposed to, say, the Aston. Yeah, the Aston is a lot more undercut and has a really long side pod, and they got these big gills on top. Um, whereas, you know, the, the Mercedes and the Williams, you know, they're, they're also a little more undercut, but their side pods are much shorter. Right. You know, the Williams has this really abbreviated side pod that cuts in to this Coke bottle shape really quickly, um, for this really tight, uh, rear of the car. And the Mercedes is kind of in between that and the Aston. Um, the Mercedes have also brought back their like corrugated edges to the underbody. Right. Um, and they've got some really big sort of strakes and intakes into that floor, into the underbody. So, so there's enough. So there's enough diversity yep. that they're not. They don't look like spec race cars. 
So yeah. they, they've got some differences. And then I guess we're going to have to wait and see how testing times shake out to see who the winners and the losers are. But ultimately, we're not going to know if this works really until the first race of the season, really. Ultimately not. I think preseason testing is going to give us some indication of you know the raw speed of the cars. And we can make a little bit of a comparison there. Um, but then, yeah, you know, they often bring a different spec to the first race. Right. Um, the big questions for me and the interest is, you know, is this new rule package going to make racing better? Um, is the order going to be shaken up? Are some of the teams going to get it right and get it wrong? Or, you know, are different teams going to get it right in different ways? So it's, there's a lot more interest there from me on the technical side and, you know, how this is going to shake out in terms of the positions of the teams. So right. I've got some interest in the new season that way. Well, and, and I know you and I talked about this a lot um, over the last couple seasons about how both of us lost interest in it and at, at times kind of felt like just walking away from it. And we talked about different things they could do, you know, that would add true tactics and real competition back into the into the racing. I, this is a step in the right direction, I hope. I just know that, you know, the product as it stands right now is not it's to me it's not as good as it's been in the past and i hope that they can change that i hope so and i mean 2021 was a much better season you know we had a pretty exciting race between verstappen and hamilton mm -hmm. um, controversial end mm -hmm. you know i know a lot of people weren't happy with how it ended in my book my opinion you know verstappen deserved his championship he was the better driver all season he had more podiums more race wins led more laps had more poles we had issues with the stewards and the rules and penalties that I think kept Hamilton in the race. I think Hamilton, they really went really easy on him in a couple instances. hundred percent. Um, where he was clearly at fault. Like I know there's controversy out there. The Hamilton fans were screaming all the time, but there were times where they were wheel to wheel. And according to the rules, Hamilton should have left him more room. They made contact and Verstappen got the penalties. You know, Silverstone was egregious. He, he should he should he should have been out for two or three races for that. Well, or at least out of that race, or you know, a much harsher penalty. That was a fifty-one G's, I think, impact. Yeah, he could he could he could have killed him. Yeah, yeah, and he got a ten-second penalty, which was a slap on the wrist. If the tables had been turned, yeah, I, I bet you Verstappen would have had a much well, harsher and, penalty. Well, and and Mercedes Benz, Total Wolf, and all the Hamilton fans would have been screaming for Max's head. Like it's, yeah, yeah I you know I'm. I don't, I don't like Hamilton for a number of reasons. I don't like his behavior. I don't like how disrespectful he is to the sport and how he carries himself and how he, how he behaves himself. Yes, he's talented. Yes, he's won championships. But I think a lot of the stuff that he has achieved has been because Mercedes, to me, is kind of the darling of the FIA, much like how people who might have saw Ferrari as that in the in the 90s uh, sorry early 2000s um, except they were wrong I'm right um, <laughs> no it's it it's it's pathetic I don't like it I don't like how the end of the season uh, came out um, with all the backlash from the Hamilton fans and frankly if he wanted to quit let him quit I couldn't care less there's you know how many guys would have killed to take his seat had he left and, and firing Massey and making him the scapegoat, dude, this is a topic for another podcast and and we can hash it out then. But no, I 
I would like to see, like the cars have changed. Maybe we'll get a better product on track. I'd like to bend this whole idea of these guest stewards and have just a an officiating team that does the whole season so we get some consistency. And my gosh, yes, I'm sorry. I went on a bit of a rant, but yeah. dude, it it it's got to change. I'm hoping this is going to be the start of a change. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, you know, Mercedes was dominant in a great part because of the rules. The rules helped hold on to that dominance. 100%. Because it prevented the other teams from you know, developing. developing. Yep. And, you know, I'll give Hamilton his due. He's a super talented driver. He deserves a bunch of his championships. He's done brilliant things on track. But he's definitely had every advantage from the rules and from the stewards. And especially this last season, I don't think he deserved to be in the running at the last race. Not at all. What had happened at some of the previous races. Not and at all. For me, the incident that really epitomized that was, you know, when he was racing Checo and Checo was holding him up and Checo raced hard and he raced fair. And that was some good sides, you know, wheel to wheel racing. It was. A few passes back and forth. And Hamilton was on the radio whining. Toto Wolf was on the radio whining about, you know, dangerous driving. That's a load of crap. No, it there is. was no dangerous driving. Checo was awesome there. And the fact that, you know, Hamilton just feels entitled that people should get out of his way. You know, that's my big problem. He's got a whiny, entitled attitude. Yep. And that's what I don't like about him. Well, and that's, you know, yeah, you hit the nail right on the head. I mean, my feelings about him being an embarrassment to the sport and, and just the lack of class, a lot of that was epitomized in that whole exchange. Like, I don't know about you. I don't know how many times in the, what, 35, 40 years I've been watching motorsport where a team principal is whining to the race steward trying to get a, a, a result and it's it's just racing there was nothing wrong nothing was going wrong but that is the whole thing about Toto Wolf and Mercedes they they feel they're entitled they can do and speak however they choose yeah like I say it let's hope for better things this year let's hope for a better championship um Max deserved his championship I I have I mean like you said the stats prove it more wins better finishes like you know yeah. It, yeah he led almost all the stats so. he did he did so hopefully that changes that and we'll have maybe a compelling season that you and i can get excited again about sounds good i'm looking forward to it too and on that note we're going to uh, end this episode and hope you tune in next time good night